0: We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Well, I'd like you to look at Proverbs chapter 10, the text that Drew read to us, verses 22 and 30 to 32. And let me tell you what this text is about. I was given a master key to this sanctuary at an entry level position. Now, the reason I was given a master key to this sanctuary is because I needed into this sanctuary, but all the keys to this sanctuary had already been given out, and so they gave me a master key. Now, a master key is a sacred rite of passage reserved for those of only the highest ecclesial order. (laughs) Facilities, Tom and the elders... Now, I'm sure there are some more out there, but I had now come into possession with a power much mightier than I. I had a key that could now let me into Charles' office and take a, a book from his library without him ever knowing it. I now had a key that would allow me into Kendall's office to play his piano without him knowing I can't. I now had a key that would let me into Reverend Herbert Thomas Nelson's office to use his personal restroom, (laughs) which I wouldn't. (laughs) Why? Because I had a master key. Well, in the book of Proverbs, God gives us a master key, and this key opens up a world to us Available to anyone at an entry level position or at the peak of their career. And what this world does is it opens up uh, a reality that can turn the simple into the sage and make the wise wiser. And the book of Proverbs says that those who refuse this key are foolish, wicked, perverted, and lazy how's that for an introduction? Well, today in Proverbs chapter 10, verses 22 to 32, we're going to take the master key and unlock facets of wisdom that deal primarily with security and favorable expectations that wisdom affords. Security and favorable expectation. This is what Wisdom affords. Now, just by way of review, the book of Proverbs is written from the perspective of a father to the son. This means that the reader, us, the church, are to take on or to assume the position of the son. And the key is the motto of the book, which is found in chapter 1, verse 7, and in chapter 9, verse 10, which interestingly, form brackets to the first part of the book. Now, we probably know these verses by heart. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. That's 1-7. And then the more popular one, the one that we're probably more familiar with in chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Well, I, I have a key here today right here. And, uh, the, and we're going to use this key, and we're going to go with the more popular one. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, now let's, let's say that together. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. One more time just for fun. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We'll get better. Now the simplest way I can define the fear of the Lord, because it's often referred to as simply awe or respect, but as Dr. Chisholm, my Hebrew professor, said, that's too, uh, that's too watered down. We can't forget that at the root meaning of the word fear is terror. But that is not how God relates to his people. And so the best way I can define fear is this recognizing God's authority over your life and submitting to his will and agenda. The fear of the Lord is recognizing God's authority over your life and submitting to his will and agenda. And we are told from the motto or the key of the book that this is the beginning of wisdom, recognizing that is the beginning of wisdom. It is the starting point for gaining wisdom and the foundation upon which wisdom is built. It is the launching pad of wisdom, and it remains the foundation upon wisdom upon which wisdom is continually built. Now I don't want to overthink this, but wisdom, and just simply defined in the Hebrew, means a skill a skill to do something that's all wisdom means. And in chapters 1 through 9 which we had just recently finished, we see competing voices appealing to the sun. We have lady wisdom and we have lady folly. Both are calling out to the sun. Both are attractive. Both are seductive. Both invite him over for dinner. Both give him an invitation to dine, to sup, and to become intimate with. But only one leads to life, while the other leads to death. Those who fear the Lord, who do they follow? Lady Wisdom, which is God's wisdom. Interestingly, the end of the book will end with a personification of what that looks like. Woman wisdom, lady wisdom, a P31 woman, Proverbs 31. Now, those who don't fear the Lord, who do they follow? Lady folly, and they perish. Well, today we're going to see the benefits of the use of the master key, and that is that it brings security and favorable expectation. And I'm going to do my best just to keep this straightforward. So, verse 22, look with me there, please. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and He, God, adds no sorrow to it. Now, at first glance, that sounds amazing. God's blessings equal wealth without trouble. Now, my well-to-do friends know that there has to be more to this passage than meets the eye because often with wealth comes greater responsibility and greater challenges. Now, we have to remember that the book of Proverbs are primarily principles, not promises. And the book of Proverbs doesn't give monolithic sayings on wealth and wisdom. In fact, sometimes the proverb, the sage will say, you will have to choose between wisdom and wealth while watching the fool get rich, even if temporarily. And so what this verse is saying is that God's blessing is not contingent on your hard labor. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Now, you may have noticed at our south doors, just outside, we have these magnificent flower beds. We have these beautiful, color-popping, mature flowers. And this is Tom's kind of mini arboretum. And what he does is he, as we staff members know, often employs us to go help uh, work this garden because he's constantly rotating new flowers. Well, one day he noticed that there was a flower there that he, we, didn't plant. And it was this big green plant and he decided just to let it grow. And it grew and it grew and it turned out to be this huge sunflower amongst all these other different flowers. And he was kind of pondering where this flower that he didn't plant come from and he realized that it must have fallen from a nearby bird feeder. A sunflower seed had fallen and grown into this mature, huge, yellow sunflower. And as he's retelling this story to us, and he's digging and planting these flowers he bought and planted, and he just kind of looks up and says, a flower from God, and goes back to work. He recognized that that flower was not the work of his hands. It wasn't by his toil. The word here used for sorrow is the same word used in Genesis 3:17 referring to the toil upon the toil of the land from the curse of Genesis. He recognized that this is a blessing of God. It is a flower of God. And so this proverb is calling the wealthy wise to recognize the Lord as their ultimate source of blessing. Now, the blessing of the lord who are the blessed in the book of proverbs the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom okay we'll get better verse 23 doing wickedness is like sport to a fool and so is wisdom to a man of understanding. And so here, the contrast is drawn between two types of people doing two types of activities, both as or both for sport. Now, the word sport can be just as easily translated as pleasure or laughter. And the wicked, they do, the foolish do uh, wickedness as sport and so the fool amuses himself he relishes in doing evil now when i was a kid in the mid mid 90s there was a television show on wb fox kids called batman the animated series it's making a comeback and often if the joker was the villain the scene would open up the joker in his lair wearing his pink suit usually laying on his back with his legs crossed, bouncing a ball off the wall, complaining to Harley Quinn about how bored he was because there was no evil for him to do. And as they would dialogue, Harley Quinn would be like, yeah, boss, you really haven't been the same since the bat got you. And he'd be like, the bat. And then his gears would start turning, and then he would develop some evil plot to get back at the bat. And then the scene would end with this Infamous joker laugh. He relished in doing evil. Evil was his sport. Now stick with me here. I come by it naturally. In The Grinch, the remake, with Jim Carrey, you see the origin story for how the Grinch was once not evil, but then became evil. Have you seen Cruella with Emma Stone? You all have you sinners, don't lie to me. <laughs> it's got some cringy moments, but it's a pretty good movie. And they give an origin story for how Carilla Deville was once not evil, but became evil. And the reason why is because our therapeutic age has a problem, has a difficulty. It struggles with accepting the fact that some people are evil just because they are evil and enjoy doing evil. Now, when you watch the original versions, the more biblical ones, (laughs) the Grinch Who Stole Christmas and 101 Dalmatians, they're evil because they're evil, and they love doing evil. Gorilla DeVille, Gorilla DeVille, if she doesn't scare you, no evil thing will. Cruella, Cruella de Vil, she's a cruel devil. She will steal your puppies, club them over the head, and turn them into jackets. <laughs> she is evil. But the wise, wisdom is sport for the man of understanding, for the person of perspective. Doing wisdom is an activity that brings pleasure to the wise who are the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Good. Getting better. Now, the word sport even carries the connotation of child's play. So every morning, my toddler, when she wakes up, she wakes up her three little babies, and she knows that these three little babies have to be changed. They have to be uh, dressed and they have to be fed. And so she takes out Gigi, which is a girl. And then she takes out Jeege, which is the other girl. And then she takes out Me Fox, which is the boy. <laughs> I don't know. But she creates an entire world where she is just delighting and taking care of these babies. And I can just sit, watch sit back and watch her naturally take delight in her child's play. And what this proverb tells us is that our activities, Christian, our activities are decisive in determining what gives us pleasure. Those who fear the Lord take delight in, take pleasure in, find joy in doing wisdom. It is innocent fun. And as we'll see in verse 24, making wisdom your sport pays off. Verse 24, verse 23 nuances this verse. What the wicked fears will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. And so, we'll see some contrasting parallelism pretty much throughout this text, but Here we have the contrast of the destinies of the righteous and the wicked. Now, everyone has fears. We all have fears and we all have desires. The wicked who take pleasure in doing evil, whose conscience haunts them at night, they will not get what they desire, but what they fear. What they fear will come upon them, not what they desire. However, with the righteous, what they desire will be granted. It is the same word for rewarded. Question, who are the righteous? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The righteous, the blessed, the upright, all refer to the same person. Those who fear the Lord. It's all the same person. And so, even when the world feels like it is gone mad, when things are insane, when things look morally upside down, God rewards the righteous because they recognize His authority over their life and seek to submit to His will and governance. That is the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. It is the foundation upon which we, God's people, live wisely and it pays off. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will grant you the desires of your heart. Don't miss this. When you delight in God as the people of God, your desires come to pass. The reason your desires come to pass is because your desires conform to the pre-existing will or desire of God. And so when you delight yourself in God, when you take pleasure in God, when you satisfy your God, when you satisfy yourself in God, God's will doesn't change, your will change. God's desires don't change, your desires change, and they come into alignment with what will come to pass. It is the way of the Lord. It is the direction where all human history is going. And so we, as God's people, seek to align our lives to God by fearing God. And in so doing, we become, or we are the righteous whose reward is wonderful. You cannot miss that. Verse 25. When the whirlwind passes, the wicked is no more. But the righteous has an everlasting foundation. Now, the contrast between the righteous and the wicked, it, it has been escalated. It has now been escalated to eternal dimensions. An everlasting foundation has the righteous. And the reason why is because God, when the storms of life come, God's people are rooted on the foundation of eternal wisdom. Our wisdom is God's wisdom. We have the mind of Christ. Let me just flip over a page and look at Lady Wisdom in chapter 8, verse 22 and 23. The Lord possessed me, that is wisdom, at the beginning of his way. Before his works of old, from everlasting, I was established. From the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. And so that is why our foundation is everlasting, because it is built on the wisdom of God from eternity past to eternity future. Question, who are the righteous? I didn't even have to say anything. And the righteous are the kind of people who build and take part in an everlasting kingdom. This is what it means to, when I say the fear of the Lord is recognizing his authority over your life, submitting to his will and agenda. Not only do we submit to his agenda, but the righteous actually take part in fulfilling God's agenda. He's accomplishing his agenda primarily through the church. And so you have to have this high calling when you come in here. When you come in here and sit down and learn from the word of God and attach yourself to your local church and rub shoulders with your fellow members of the body of Christ, and whenever we escalate the name of Jesus, you have to recognize that you are being equipped to fulfill the agenda of God Monday through Saturday. That is what you're doing. You're not coming here to get your feel-good feeling tank filled up. You're coming here because you are part of God's agenda in human history. That is why you are here. And that is a marvelous truth and a marvelous calling that exceeds our greatest expectation. This is how God can continually do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. We are the kind of people that take part in building an everlasting kingdom. Now, you may have heard of a king who described two different houses being made of the same material. One house lasted and one house didn't. The material of both houses were were the same material, the only difference was what? The foundation. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, beginning being the foundation upon which wisdom is built. The only difference is the foundation. Now, I paraphrase this story to my daughter all the time. Say, honey, there's three little pigs. And the first little pig, he didn't fear the Lord, and he made his house out of straw. And when the devil came, he blew it away. Now, he had a brother, not your brother, he had a brother who built his house out of straw. He didn't fear the Lord either, and when the devil came, he blew it away, and it was no more. But the third little pig, he feared the Lord, and he was wise, and he built his house out of rock, out of stone, out of brick, and when the devil came, the devil was no more because the wise build their house on a, an internal foundation of wisdom that lasts now and forever. Amen? That is us. Take it on. Make it part of your identity. Now, verse 26 kind of breaks this contrasting parallelism, and it nuances verse 24. Proverbs 26 is built on a simile, something that is similar, using like. Like vinegar to the teeth. Ouch. Like smoke to the eyes, ouch, so is the lazy to the one who sends him. And so we have the simile with two analogies, vinegar and smoke. And the picture is of a person sending another person on an an important journey or task with the expectation of that task being fulfilled and uh, ideally it being like a refreshing drink or a good fresh meal prepared by fire. But because this person was lazy, the result was pain and irritation. Now, those who have a small business or who have ever hired somebody to do a job and they were lazy, this proverb doesn't need any explaining. Lazy people, let me just say this before I say what I'm about to say. The sage, the writer of Proverbs, is most harsh on the lazy. The sluggard gets it the worst. And so a lazy person is painful. They are an irritant to life and to society. They are like living without Sensodyne. They're like biting into a, they're like having a lemon strapped to your teeth all day long. Painful. They're like barbecuing and the smoke just continually hitting you in the face and just brings tears to your eyes and it just doesn't go away. They are a painful irritant to life. It could be like a husband who comes home and just sits on the couch and doesn't take part with the kids or doing things around the house or like the wife who takes no part in any kind of domestic responsibility. They are a pain. They are an irritation. And so this proverb is saying that even though the wise have security and can expect a favorable expectation in life, that favorable expectation can be compromised by enlisting unqualified, lazy people. And so be mindful. Now, stick with me here. Because they are lazy, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They do not fear the Lord, but they despise wisdom and understanding. The lazy, the perverted, the, fo- the, the foolish, all are those who do not fear the Lord in the book of Proverbs. It is the prism. This key is the prism for the entire book. Verse 27 The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. And so right from the get-go, we see the foundation of wisdom is stated, the fear of the Lord. Now, who are those who fear the Lord? They're the wise. Remember that. And the fate of the wise and the wicked are contrasted. Now, this is a general statement, not a fixed law. Most proverbs are principles, not promises. Most proverbs are not universal truths apart from context. Context almost always dictates how the proverb is applied. And so sometimes, in this situation, it's wise to speak to the foolish. But sometimes, in this situation, it's not wise to speak to the foolish. And so, wise people tend to live in conformity to God's design and structuring of the universe. We don't have to have a degree from MIT to understand the why behind the what of life. And that generally prolongs life. And so when you watch Neil deGrasse Tyson, who as a scientist or cosmologist or physicist, whatever he is, speaks about the universe and the what of the universe, listen closely, he's brilliant. But as soon as he begins to explain the why of the universe and your purpose in it, he has categorically stepped out of his realm of expertise, which is material and physical, and he has donned his theological cap and started talking about the theological and has now attempted to answer questions that can only be resolved theologically. The reason why the wise generally live long lives is because they understand the why behind the what. So, wise Christians understand their identity that I am made in the image of God, that my life is about bringing glory to God, my life is about becoming like Christ and to see others also become like Christ. I understand gender, that I'm a man or and she is a woman and in the image of God, he made both them. I understand the answer to the racist issue, that sin is the problem, that the gospel is the solution, and that in Christ, one entirely new humanity is created. I understand sexuality, that God created sex, that sex is to be enjoyed, and that it is also to propagate, to fulfill the Genesis agenda of being fruitful and multiplying. And this is to happen within the context of a lifelong committed marriage, which incidentally is between a male and female and are the only people who can procreate. I hope you're watching, Tom. I hope you're watching. They clapped for me too. I also understand how to relate to my neighbor. Because my neighbor is also made in the image of God. So, you're not gonna clap for this one, but even if they vote, even if they're voted for whoever or love AOC and the squad and whatever, I am still called to love them because they too are image bearers of God. And I can look at that person who completely thinks differently than me, and I could say, the glory of God is written all over you. And that is knowing the why behind the what, which in general brings flourishing, not only to your life, but to society. So the wise, verse 27, are those who fear the Lord and will in, gener- in general live long lives. Now, of course, we live in a less than ideal world, we live in a broken world, and so the good still die young, I sin, we sin, things, we have brought things into our life, but the purpose of this proverb is to motivate us to pursue wisdom that that brings security and favorable expectation. It is to move us to this direction despite our past sin and failures and despite living in a less than ideal world. This is our pursuit. Verse 28. The hope of the righteous is gladness, same word for joy, but the expectation of the wicked perishes. Again, the fates of the righteous and the wicked are contrasted. Both have hopes. Both have expectations for their futures, but only one is secure and only one has favorable expectations. Notice there's a reversal of fortunes between the two. The righteous have the expectation of gladness and joy. Why? Because the righteous live in accordance to God's governance. We understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all that that brings, that it unlocks the world, a divine world of the mind of God, and that he has invited us into this world to live according to it and the benefits are unending. The wicked's expectation perishes. This is a a cal and perfect verb, which could be translated, will perish. And if we wanted to get really literal, we could say, will be lost, will run away, will be carried off. And so, while the wicked's hope and expectation is actually fleeting and growing further and further apart, the hope of the righteous is gladness, our joy is now and is coming to us. We have joy in part, but we also are awaiting for a day where we will have joy in full. And so our hope, the hope of the righteous is joy now and forever. A kingdom is coming, ladies and gentlemen. A king is returning. And there will be no more sin, suffering, death, all things will do what we're seeking to do now. Recognize his authority, submit to his will, and take part in his agenda. There, a day is coming where that will be, that will ineffably happen. It's going to happen. And so we have joy now because we're living according to it now, but we also have joy coming because we know this day will arrive. It's got to be part of our mindset. It's got to be how we think as the people of God in a world contrary to him. We cannot think like the world. We've got to be set apart. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Who are those who fear the Lord? Just, just say it. Amen. Verse 29, the way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright, but ruin to the workers of iniquity. Now, in light of chapters one through nine, we know there are two paths to the book of Proverbs. Both are calling out to you right now, as soon as you leave this place. Both are gonna be calling out to you. Both are going to be inviting you to travel. Both are gonna be calling you to listen, but remember One leads to life. One leads to death. There are not many ways. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright. Who are the upright? We're going to have to get louder for this to really work. Okay? The upright follow the way of the Lord. And are protected in him He is a stronghold to the upright. Now that word "stronghold" is kind of an interesting word in Hebrew. It's, it's actually made of, of multiple words that are kind of hard to track down. But the best picture I can give you is that of a mountain combined with a fortress. And so the idea is that our Lord those who are traveling on God's way the way of wisdom he is their strength and he is like a mountainous fortress for the upright who are the upright I wasn't even in my notes I was just going to check Before I was I came up here I was praying. And what I always pray when I'm sitting over there is it's always the same thing. It's, I will look to the mountains from where shall my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. He is a mountainous refuge. That He is our strength. He is our hope. I can't tell you how many people That are praying for me, that know this to be true, and this is true for every single saint. At the way of the Lord, you remember this when you go to work. You remember this Monday through Saturday. That when you're driving, when you're taking your kids, when you're on your way, that you make the decision that you are going to fear the Lord and that you are going to be on the way of the Lord and that when things come, that you have a mountainous refuge in which you can take shelter. He is hes your Helm's Deep. Lord of the Rings fans, y'all need to read more. He is your mountain, he is your refuge, and the reason we're told the ruin of the worker's But ruin to the workers of iniquity. The reason it's ruin to the workers of iniquity is because they are never on the path in the first place. Verse 30. The righteous will never be shaken, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. And so this is the fourth proverb in a row that considers the fate of the righteous and the wicked. Now, contextually, it refers to the promised land that when Israel lives righteously by faith, by putting their faith in God, faithful obedience to God in a sacrifice, waiting for a Messiah, they will live in the land. And when they act evilly, they will be exiled. But it it goes deeper than that. In the Hebrew, this, this reads, a very literal reading is, the righteous to eternity, not he will be removed and so there is an internal aspect of righteousness so we are in the craft stage in my household and so you know you can take a piece of craft paper and you can take some glue and you can draw something with that glue <laughs> and you put that piece of paper down and then you get some glitter <laughs> And you bedazzle that paper with glitter. And then now you got to make sure you you get all the glitter to cover up the glue. And then once you realize there's no more glitter sticking to the glue, you kind of funnel the paper back and you kind of shake it off back into the jar. And then what you have, what remains, is a work of art. At least for a parent. The paper is divine wisdom. The glue... Is application, the glitter is your life. When you apply your life to God's wisdom, what remains is a picture of righteousness. Who are the righteous? But the wicked, they're like chaff dust in the wind, no more. No eternal wisdom to be rooted in. Then we come to these final two verses. And these verses really finish off where Tom left off, referring to righteous speech, the speech between the righteous and the wicked. Verse 31, the mouth or the speech of the righteous flows wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. Now, the word flows comes from the Hebrew word nuv, and it means to grow or to produce. It's this agricultural term, and it's used figuratively here. The speech of the righteous grows or produces wisdom, as opposed to the tongue of the wicked, which God will prune. That, too, being cut off is literal. It's against the Torah to cut off the tongue. It's, it's figurative here. In verse 32, nuances, verse 31, the lips, the speech, the mouth, the language of the righteous brings forth what is acceptable. The word acceptable is the same word for favor, and it often, most often, refers to divine favor, but it also just can mean favor amongst man as well. But... The mouth of the wicked, what is perverted or what is twisted. Notice something about these two proverbs. That a person's character can be defined by their speech. How they talk. What comes out of their mouth. Sometimes you just got to sit and let them talk. You don't got to say anything. And what's interesting is that word bring forth is the word yada. And its most basic meaning is to know through experience. So to know something, to come to knowledge through experience. The idea is to speak wisely or to learn to speak wisely through experience, through practicing it. And so you take what you know about wisdom. That better be God. You take what you know about wisdom, and you practice it, and it will produce favor. So a picture is imagining your life like a tree rooted in wisdom. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is the foundation upon which wisdom is built. And imagine that your life is rooted in this wisdom, and as you mature and as you practice living wisely, you begin to produce fruit. And this fruit represents your speech. And because you have feared the Lord, you've recognized His authority over your life, you submit to His will, and you take part in His agenda, your speech produces the flavor of favor. That is what it produces. And so people are drawn to you because you speak wisely. It is the flavor of favor. That is what your speech is like when you are rooted in wisdom. It is, and it is something that we practice through experience. Amen? Amen? Well, that closes out chapter 10. And uh, what we see here is that there are manifold of benefits for applying divine wisdom to our lives. Specifically in verses 22 to 32, that it brings great security and favorable expectation for the present and the future. Security and favorable expectation. Security S and A, F, favorable expectation. Safe. Safe. But this safe is only unlocked by one kind of person. It doesn't matter if you're naive or already wise. What matters is if you have the master key. What is the master key? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that... You have given us everything we need for life and holiness through your son, Jesus Christ, who is wisdom, who is life. And so I pray that as the people of God, we would display to the world what it looks like to live according to divine wisdom, according to your governance, according to your will, according to your agenda. I pray, Lord, that you would empower us, by your Spirit, to fear you, to pursue wisdom, and that we would take hold of this great motivation you offer, security and favorable expectation. I pray this over our church, in Jesus' name, amen.